The Great Canadian Talk Show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome to the debut of ActionLine.ca, the new home of investigative journalism in Winnipeg. The place where you have a voice, and the place where newsmakers are heard and questioned, and the public's right to know is paramount. There are no government subsidies or grants funding this platform. We rely on sponsors, advertisers, and donors like you to help us bring analysis, information, and unique reports to inform the community. ActionLine.ca is the home of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. And to launch Season 3, ActionLine is presenting an exclusive PGCTS interview with Andrew Marquez of Gem Equity. Marquez sued the city of Winnipeg for deliberately obstructing his right to build over 1,900 housing units in the Parker Lands area of Fort Carey and was awarded $5 million by the Court of King's Bench in a stunning rebuke of the city's treatment of property developers. Part one of the interview, Marty Gold in conversation with Andrew Marquez is next. Join us as ActionLine.ca continues a Winnipeg tradition. Let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. my distinct pleasure to welcome the Great Canadian Talk Show, a person whose name has been in the news many times over the course of well, probably since, 20, since 2007, and until today I had never met Andrew Marquez, and he's uh, uh, hosting me here in his, uh, I wouldn't exactly call it palatial digs, uh, in the, uh, you're, you're located in a, you're not a portage in Maine, you're not out by Ikea, you're in an industrial area of the West End like a common man. Very unusual when I got that the address. Uh, it's only from my cab driving days that I even knew where I was going today. Uh, I appreciate you giving an opportunity to the audience, the Great Canadian Talk Show, to hear your views. And we're going to have a lot of conversations. Uh, and, and just to be clear to the audience, I've uh, spoken with Andrew a couple of times just to you know get a sense of where he's coming from and what he's been through. And everybody knows that I have my own experience with court cases. But uh, our... Uh, two podcasts about the situation. The first one on July 19th, there's 101 reasons why Winnipeg Council must review Orlico's role, Councillor John Orlico, and the $5 million court ruling. And then subsequently, Councillor Edie defending Orlico after the Integrity Commission was asked to investigate. We're going to address that as well as broader subjects uh, at, a, at a later time uh, of uh, Matt, uh, Andrew Marquez's view of what it's like to do business for the city, the implications for taxpayers. Some broader, I think it could be called moral implications for where the city has been steered uh, and where it is headed. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show. Uh, let's start with the, the, if we can, with the decision of, uh, of uh, Madam Justice Shauna McCarthy and uh, the, the finding, uh, you as a, as a numbered company, all the technicalities of, of who the plaintiffs were, uh, the evidence as a whole establishes a pattern of conduct of the defendants, uh, Smith and Robinson, Braden Smith, former city planner, Michael Robinson, uh, still employed by the city, which rises to the level of misfeasance in public office. 
And uh, our research particularly honed in on that uh, planning property and development chose not to negotiate with the landowner, that being you, Gem Equities. Rather, they began to engage in acts of misfeasance to create a scenario whereby the land value would be affected. I'm sure when you got into the development business, buying up land and looking to create housing and opportunity for Winnipegers, the last thing you thought was that City Hall was going to be fighting against you. Well, correct. Well, thanks for having me, Marty. Um, really, it's not really about me, but generally the public doesn't think that City Hall is going to be fighting against them, trying to intentionally harm them. That's not what you expect if you're, you know, if you're in the public and you're trying to do business with the city or trying to do business with anyone. Um, the evidence was that the planner you were working with uh, indicated that you were ready to go forward to committee in the, uh, for approval in December 2014. And as the court says, at that point, however, the local area councillor had started raising concerns, John Orlico. So let me just dial back for a second. Did you have direct discussions and dealings with councillor Orlico during the course of this process? Yes. And you had the sense, I've seen some of the correspondence through the court case, that early on... You know, like after a while, not immediately, but you started to sniff out that something wasn't quite right here. We did. What were the clues? Was it the bait and switch in terms of this will be okay, oh, but now we need this met, this condition met? And was it something like that or was it something else that was said or done? Well, there was, like initially we were off to, uh, it looked like we were off to a good start in the fall of, late fall of 2013. But then things sped up in early 2014 and then they just grew ominously quiet and something slowed down in September October of 2014 and then from there on it was just jumping through hoops and it was it was uh, jump through this hoop we jumped through the hoop jumped through another hoop and then we just realized this was essentially a game this wasn't a, a this wasn't a process that was going to lead to a positive outcome and, and one of those hoops was that you were given a, a, a package by the city of how to go through the process. And evidently, according to the court, uh, according to the evidence, there's no indication in that package the forest was to be conserved or the city intended to expropriate 6.7 hectares of land from the plaintiffs. I, I, that floored me. And the court indicated that though that became very significant later on, these two issues. That floored me. When I looked through this, and I, I've never... You know, it's no secret. I've never developed you know, property. I, that's not my game. But for the city to give somebody a package who's investing millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and leave out something that you would think would have been fundamental, that, that act of omission was not an error. They did not want to tell you. Yeah, so so what uh, is in the court decision about that omission was actually amplified in the George Elliott uh, uh, inquiry and uh, the inquiry officer, Mr. Elliott. Um, there was a meeting with uh, Councillor Orlico and others um, at uh, senior management at the city about a, month, about a month after that document was produced. And, a, and I had posed the question, do you guys have any interest in this land? Is this true that you would like to expropriate 25 acres, which was 40% of my land holdings, just mm -hmm. to give a perspective here on the size and scope of the, ta of the potential taking? 
And I was told that it was a placeholder. Don't worry about it. We'll get back to you. Yeah, I saw. Was that was Joshy the CEO at the time? I think. Yeah. And and it just it's a placeholder. So it's just a. And then they'll figure out you know whittle it down. Was the was the inference? Oh no, just set it aside. We'll get back to that. So the importance of that scenario was there was an omission of this evidence, which uh, which of a fact that there was interest. And there was a lot of document, documentation that came through the court um, scenario that showed that that omission was on purpose. It, it, it wasn't by accident. And then obviously this, uh, this meeting about it's just a placeholder, don't worry about it. For me, though, I took them at their word mm-hmm. and said, okay, you're going to get back to me. Had no idea what was going on behind, behind the, the scenes. scenes. Yeah, uh, And we'll be talking about the expropriation uh, 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 aspect, which is still on the table and coming forward with a big surprise for city taxpayers, potentially. We'll get to that uh, subsequently in, in our conversation. Um, the, the planner uh, emailed his colleagues, according to the court, and urged them to make the city's position on the retention pond clear as the city had not conveyed its intention of exporting land from the plaintiffs. I've, you know, and I, I don't, and I don't know if you listen to the podcast that I've done on this. I'm not suggesting you should have, but you know, this audience, they know that I can smell something. And when I see statements like that, that people working for the city, um, clearly give direct, maybe not direction, advice, uh, express their concerns about what's going on. And this came up later in the case as well. And yet the upper echelons at City Hall, the upper echelons of the bureaucracy at 510 Main Street, they repeatedly ignored what seemed to be reasonable cautions, reasonable advice, um, reasonable steps, like making sure that the developer is clued into what the expectations of the city are, things that might you know, prevent the development of all the land that had been, been purchased. And they just carried on with seemingly no care about the exposure that this was uh, that this was creating for taxpayers down the line if things turned sideways, which it substantially did. So I agree with you. So a couple points on this. Sure. So the planner that you were mentioning, this planner was actually doing his job, and notwithstanding. Um, notwithstanding comments that he was getting from superiors, he was actually doing his job. Like an so, honest broker. It, it was, and, and so kudos to that person. Um, I don't believe, I, the only thing where I'll take issue was, I don't believe it was an accident. I believe they knew the situation they were in vis-a-vis the exposure on the damages. And I think that helped um, move forward some of their actions and their decisions. One thing that you should know was this this planner that was doing his job had a meeting, and this only came out through the court. I didn't know this at the time, with Councillor Orlico in June of 2014. Mm-hmm. And Councillor Orlico said, slow down the plan. Right. Basically stop it. And- We're not moving forward on this planning process. The information you need but can't find anywhere else. A lot of you know what would hit the fan if at any point anything were to come out from this. But we have that information. The tradition of investigative journalism for Winnipeg restored. You will not believe the latest kind of garbage being crammed on a curriculum that has nothing to do with reading, writing, arithmetic. Actionline.ca. This is the priority at City Hall, like prostitutes. There's money being waved around. We better go do whatever it is so we can get the money. Now, whether it makes sense doesn't matter. Featuring the great Canadian talk show. Where do the people go to be heard? With Marty Gold.
Great Canadian Talk Show podcast is brought to you by Midpoint Auto. Vehicle sales at wholesale pricing. 1.99% financing on new cars. 6.99% financing on great used vehicles. Cars, trucks, vans, SUVs. That's not all. Off-road vehicles, campers, snowmobiles, dirt bikes, even boats. If you're in the market for something with an engine, then that's the place you want to go. MidpointAutomotive.ca. The phone number, 833-997-9930. Again, that's 833-997-9930. Midpoint Auto, bad credit approved, good credit rewarded. If you're a listener of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, let them know by giving them the promo code. T-A-L-K, the word talk. That's the promo code, and you're sure to get a great deal from Midpoint Automotive. Jamrock Security has effective and creative ways to help protect your business, your home, and your community. Jamrock gets the job done so you can rest easy. Go to jamrocksecurity.ca or call us at 204-880-1564. Do security. Do it smart. Jamrock Security. The court noted there was a number of times where there was meetings held that that you as the plaintiff were not told about. So there's all these machinations, I think that's the right word, behind the scenes, uh, Machiavellian or otherwise, uh, but there's all these machinations behind the scenes. Now, one of these was a meeting that the the planner, this would be Doni, had in July of 2015. So this is already a couple years into what should have been a a smooth process uh, where he met with Councillor Orlico. And he reported back to Braden Smith and Veach, I don't recall uh, Veach's first name, uh, that Orlico indicated the densities were too high, the planning of Parker lands was premature, that just baffles me, and affecting the value of the expropriated land. So a lot of, of what was going on was because the city had made a decision without telling you that they're going to do a retention pond one way instead of two separate ponds on either side of the tracks, right? And like or no ponds, or uh, yes, that's also true. No that a lot of people don't catch or no ponds, and then the pipe sizes. I'm not going to bore the audience with those kind of technical details. The city had some options. They didn't want initially tell you about any of it, and then all of a sudden, what the evidence was that John Orlico was concerned that this process was going to increase the amount that you'd have to be paid for the expropriated land for the retention ponds because as you add height to the the uh, apartment buildings, that creates greater value. And they wanted to limit you. I can't remember, was it four stories or six stories they wanted to limit you to? Under six stories. Under six stories. I, again, I looked at that. Three and, to four stories on a transit-orientated development against all their yes. planning guidelines and rules and regulations. And I just want to assure the audience, this isn't the... I'm sure that the subject of the TOD will come up and the, the whole dog leg, we covered that on radio. We covered, uh, not so much on radio, we covered that on City Circus. But that's this isn't about any of that. Um, you know, the position I've, I've struck, Andrew, is uh, you come to the table, the, the, the deal is clear, you've got possession of the land, you want to do something nobody else is in a position to do, nobody else is capitalized enough to do it. You're going to take over about 50 acres by the time it's done. And you're going to create housing in a neighborhood where there has been none. We'll worry about retention ponds and forest preservation and all the rest of it later. You're a, a, a big play, become a big player where the city says they're looking for this kind of action. They're looking for this kind of economic spinoff. And all of a sudden, well, not that much spinoff. We don't want that many people living there. Had you ever conceived that somebody would try to convince you, yeah, do this development, put up this housing, but it's only going to be four stories? 
There's not even any views you're blocking there. There was nothing there. Yeah, no. And the, the point is, not to get into this planning jargon, but the point is, they were basically saying, you're, you're building, we want you to build way less than what should be built there. And that's a head scratcher. That means less taxes um, into the city coffers. It's not following their guidelines. Mm-hmm. None of it made any sense. But all that seemed to matter to them from a, a meeting that Orlico had later that same day with Braden Smith and, and a couple of other officials, the meeting notes, according to the court, said that the city, the, there was concerns the city, and here's the quote, will get hammered on the expropriations and Orlico isn't pleased. This attempt to manipulate the land value to save the city money on the back end, I... I find this really not just remarkably reprehensible, but then for Council Orlico, uh, who's who's not an enemy of of the of 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 the state. I mean, he's he's taken the shots that we've we've taken at him over the years, and he's also accepted the kudos that we've had for for his work as a councillor over the years. Uh, so this isn't any background on on my part with John Orlico, but like you're worried the city's going to get hammered on expropriation. Well, then maybe reconsider the whole concept of expropriation, which should only be used as a last resort in the first place. This is amazing to me that that the councillor clearly was giving direction to officials over something that has no part of the planning process. You're shaking your head no very vociferously here. Agreed. And that was that was part of the trial. Expropriation and the concept of expropriation, the value of land is not part of the planning process. Um, the the city of Winnipeg, when it comes to this court decision, uh, I think we've I think I've established and just going through these basic points. And again, folks, you can go back to my earlier podcast where I went I, I went chapter and verse on a lot of this decision uh, that came from the Court of King's Bench and the five million dollars that we as taxpayers are facing, plus the legal costs, plus the, the legal costs that will be awarded to Mr. Marquez, and the, uh, plus the costs of the lawyers, eight private practice lawyers defending the uh, the four civic defendants, two of whom were found not responsible, two, Michael Robinson and, uh, and Braden Smith, carrying the ball on this, as well as the city with vicarious liability. Those lawyers... Uh, in private practice, those eight lawyers, nothing against them. I don't actually know who any of them were. Uh, I don't know who was representing who in that case. They all made out like bandits. They were charging top dollar. The city had two lawyers. Instead of doing city business, normal city business, normal course of city business, they were devoted God knows how many hours to trying to weasel the city out from under something that never should have happened. There's like no risk assessment. And now we as taxpayers are carrying the ball on this. Uh, and, and and as we'll talk about the expropriation, we're not done. But there's one other point just for purposes of this first segment. There's going to be lots more with Andrew Marquez, folks. Believe me. After my first podcast about this, about Council Orlico, where nobody realized, uh, is right away, he said, what did I do wrong? I don't I didn't know. Uh, all these, I'm being said that things I did that I didn't do, which clearly, honestly, John Orlico did, and John Orlico said, and other people acted on that the court found was deliberate acts against a private citizen, which is, the, the to me, it's like, a, you know, if there's a Ten Commandments for City Hall, that's up there number two or three. Don't screw around with private citizens for political interests. It, which, I, again, I go back, where Orlika wanted to delay the public consultations until after an election, which is election interference, right? I mean, that undermines democracy, but, again... 
to come back to the point, we do the first podcast, and Counselor Edie, longtime friend of the program, list, frequent listener, sends me reminders, notes, all sorts of things. But Ross Edie <clears throat> responded to a letter of complaint to the Integrity Commissioner about Counselor Orlico and the findings of the court case. And Counselor Edie made a couple of comments. I just want to bounce off you. If you choose not to comment on them, I understand. But what he wrote to all the counselors and to Sherry Walsh, the Integrity Commissioner, and to the complainant, Don Woodstock, if a counselor cites issues where the city could get ripped off by private sector capitalists, they are doing their job. Thanks, John. Do you think there was any stage where anybody could have looked at the, the work you were doing with regards to the development of Parker Lands and said that you were ripping off the taxpayers? Not at all. It wasn't... Because I've tried to figure that out, and I don't understand where you being a private sector capitalist... It's bizarre. The city, on the one hand, needs private sector capitalists, but on the other hand, you're a bad guy. I don't get that. Well, it appears... Yeah. It, I, just, just for clarification, what we were attempting to do was move forward and get a development application approved at the city. So that was it. Um, obviously, the city had some issues with that, and for all these obvious reasons of, of which we've talked about. So what's interesting, though, when I look at what Mr. Eady said was, the problem is the person, it's like blaming the whistleblower. Yes. And I'm the bad guy for, you know, stepping on Superman's cape. I'm the bad guy for exposing something that's going well, on at City Hall. You're the bad guy for getting all this land where the city signed off on the land swap between the Fort Rouge Yards and you taking over Parker Lands, which is, I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's desolate, it had an ecosystem, but I mean, it's, there's nothing there, nothing happening. There weren't even hermit, as I understand it, there used to be in the old days some hermit shacks there uh, when I, you know, when I was a kid, when I started driving cat, but there's, there's like nothing there. You... How are you ripping off, as a private sector capitalist, how are you ripping off the city when they come forward with this secret plan to expropriate land for a retention pond that may or may not be needed and might get hammered on the expropriation? Well, like, I just didn't understand the logic in telling all of council that and trying to poison the waters if Sherry Walsh decided to investigate Council Orlico. The irony in all this is... Exactly what you said. You should really look at the situation. That is the irony of the whole situation. Look in your own house what was actually going on. It's it's it it it, it the the whole situation where where city hall has not by any stretch. I don't think I've heard one voice at city council that is expressed remorse. Now, granted, they're awaiting an appeal. And you know what? Just we wrap up this segment. I don't, I don't know. Are you able to talk about where the where the process is now in terms of you collecting the $5 million? Uh, I, I understand the city has not yet filed a, uh, an appeal or indicated uh, that they will. Sure. We, uh, I believe we have a, a court date in front of uh, Justice McCarthy on the 5th of September to discuss cost and interest. 5th of September. And so at that point, they either have to sign off on the judgment or they'll be compelled to sign it, I guess. Well, I'm, I, not, I'm trying to remember how that stuff works. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be an agreement on the wording of the judgment. Yeah. But, I mean, the wording of the judgment follows the decision. So, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but, I mean, that gets to be fairly straightforward. Once that wording is agreed upon, 
the judgment is entered, and then there's a period of time where a decision on the appeal has to be and, and I'm not asking uh, Andrew Marcus this. I've, I've certainly heard from a couple of sources that M Michael Robinson uh, is, uh, wants to appeal. I don't know what the city's position is. I, I don't want to speak about Michael Robinson, but in my opinion, if the city of Winnipeg tries to appeal this, that's throwing more, you know, good money good money after bad at the same time as the lawyers are making out like bandits. I set that aside. We're going to head off to a break. Uh, continue with the rest of the program in a subsequent episode. You're going to hear more of my interview with uh, Andrew Marcus of Gem Equities. We're going to talk about that expropriation process in the next segment. And uh, stay tuned right after this break. I'll be back with more of the Great Canadian Talk Show. Whether you're concerned, rush hour, people can't get home in this city. Angry or motivated. Which he hasn't mentioned anything about and didn't do anything about when he was in charge. Because that, that's a small stuff. Actionline.ca, letting you know you have the power. It didn't matter if they were NDP, liberal, conservative. They'd say, well, that's really expensive. I'd say, yeah, you know what else is expensive? Firefighters, water. Home of the great Canadian talk show. The point of uselessness when he wielded influence around the halls of 510 Main Street. With Marty Gold. The Great Canadian Talk Show is brought to you by The Hive Hair Company. From classic to funky, the styles of your life are at The Hive in the heart of the Osborne Village at 175 Osborne. Call 452-4483 or online thehivehaircompany.com. That was a great conversation that uh, I was able to have with Andrew Marcus. That was just part one. Part two coming up later this week. You're going to want to check back with actionline.ca. And you're going to hear a lot of really startling information because this isn't going to begin and end with a $5 million judgment. There's an upcoming expropriation hearing. And as Andrew Marquez explains uh, to me, explained to me in great detail, the city of Winnipeg, you taxpayers, could be on the hook for a lot more than $5 million by the time that hearing is done. With millions of your tax dollars on the line, you're going to want to get as much information as you can. And some of that information is going to be available only through actionline.ca. For more information to advertise or send us your tips, email actionline99 at gmail.com. Remember, the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, the flagship audio presentation of actionline.ca, here with this podcast. We never forget that you have the power. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to The Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com. Or follow him on Twitter at tgcts. Oh.